Pastor Ken, I, I learned, is a good friend of Pastor Leon. They, they both attend uh, the Macedonian Ministries, where Pastor Chris is also a part of, where a bunch of pastors in the area get together and offer encouragement and pray and support for one another. Um, so they've known each other for quite some time. Um, he is the um, program director, interim program director for the Flint campus of Life Challenge um, Ministries, and he does addiction recovery ministry. Is that correct? Yep. Um, he also serves as an adult ministry pastor at Revival Tabernacle in Highland Park. Um, and he's got his wife, Rachel, here, married for almost 30 years. Amazing. And we got four kids. Not only, I only count two, but there's two more somewhere else. All right. I trust you. All right. So let's go ahead and pray for Pastor Ken as he prepares to preach the word for us. All right. Well, dear Lord, we are grateful for this opportunity to hear from this dear brother. Thank you for the partnerships that Pastor Leon has built over the years with other pastors in the area who have, who have poured into him as well. We praise you for this network. We praise you for the, the communion and the fellowship that they've had. Um, and we pray that you would be speaking through Pastor Ken this morning. Um, would you edify hearts and, and charge us to live in accordance with the gospel this morning? We pray these in your name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Getting situated. <laughs> I knew that was gonna happen. Okay, there it is. Boom. Thank you, Lord, for ears. Uh, it is so good to be here with you, uh, Mac Avenue, and it's so great to meet the team here uh, in from town. And uh, I got to speak here once, maybe two years ago, almost exactly two years. And uh, uh, so it was a delight to be back and, and uh, post-pandemic, good to see my friend Pastor Chris and my friend Tammy, my friends over there, and Lisa, and so thank God for each of them. Um, and yes, I do have two older kids. My, uh, Ezra's my youngest, Zion is 16, going into junior year in high school. Then I got my son, Noah, who is uh, just uh, graduated from Calvin and Grand Rapids. And my daughter, Chloe, is a teacher in Chicago. So uh, not too far. At least we can get uh, in the go CPS, uh, all right, <laughs> Chicago Public Schools. Woo. So she teaches uh, seventh grade English and uh, social studies and her... Uh, her rookie year was uh, the pandemic, so uh, but she enjoyed it anyway, and it was uh, uh, so pray for her as she heads back in. I think they're going back into full time uh, in class. Not sure, so not sure. But uh, so good to be with you. We're going to be looking at two passages of scripture, but both in Isaiah 25 and in Luke chapter 22. I'll read those maybe now. Isaiah, the 25th chapter, and we may have them on screen, not sure, but if not, if you got a Bible or a phone, and also I want to welcome our on, uh, streaming audience uh, as well, so welcome to you to Mac Avenue. 
Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, reads like this. I'm reading from the ESV. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. And he will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away every, all, uh, wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Verse 9. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And then in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 14, it says, When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father for uh, this awesome opportunity just to gather together and to, to share at the table of the Lord. Uh, you know, we're not doing the table in terms of the, the literal ordinance today. Oh, yes, we are. I think we are later on. But uh, also the table as we speak of the spiritual food that you give to your people in God's word. So, Lord, um, help me as the lips of clay your you're uh, speaking through today, and give us ears to hear, we ask and pray. Send your spirit and bless your people. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So, did I turn on, by the way? Am I on? Thank you. You know, as we get started, uh, I want to take just about a minute here. This is terrible art, so this is how you know it's mine. All right, so... Uh, and you can't see it. So this, what, what use is this uh, that I showed this to you? But anyway, uh, this is my dinner room table. When I was a kid, as I imagine it, that's me. Can you tell? All right. So uh, it, was six, it was eight of us, my parents, and six kids. And I'm just going to ask you, take just about a minute to draw your dinner table, if you're okay with that. There should be a piece of paper for you. And as you remember the, the place where you eat or you ate, particularly in your growing up years, and if it's not comfortable for you to do that, no pressure at all, just don't do it. But if, uh, if you're okay to kind of draw what your dinner table was like,
see some people getting out brushes. Sorry, those online, I wasn't able to give you paper and pen, pen but if you have that, please desire to do this, feel free. While you do that, if you're able to, uh, unlike me, walk and chew gum at the same time, uh, while you're drawing your picture, um, we did this exercise a few years ago. I, 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 I don't know why it sticks in my mind so much. But uh, a gentleman came to the ministry I work at and did kind of like a staff exercise. And he said, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of our addictive past uh, may have connection to just some of how our family construct was. And he said, you know, draw, and, you know, most of our staff had an addictive past. And it, it, he said, draw, draw your pictures. So people began to draw their family pictures. Some were happy. Some were content. There was all kind of variety. Some it was mom and them. Some it was a bunch of kids. Some it was two parents. But I'll never forget, there were two that, uh, as I recall, <laughs> really struck me emotionally. One of them, the guy said, I just left it blank. There was, I, I, there was no time where our family, I don't, I don't have a framework for that, like a place where our family gathered, a, a thing that was easily identified as family or, or a table. One other guy, I think, even got me a little bit more emotional. He did draw himself with the rest of his family, but he drew the table really long, and he was way down at the end all by himself, all by himself. He felt very alone at his own table. You know, the table is a, uh, a powerful thing. The meal is a powerful thing. It can be also a painful thing. But I want to invite you today to come and eat. Come and eat. God has a table for you. He has a meal for you. Amen? And, uh, uh, hey, everybody. I should ask Sister Edith to come do this. Did she leave? You've been invited. Uh, you're invited. Woo! <laughs> so, yes, that's right. Clap for that. Yes, you have. You have. And you, Pastor Mike, and you. <laughs> yes, you have. You have been invited to a luxurious feast, a gospel feast. God is putting it on warn you. I had a couple of friends. I don't know why this is, but uh, some of my closest friends, we love talking about food. And there's just something about food, all right? So I don't know what it is. But we get into, uh, you know, we talk about seasoning and we talk about, uh, you know, one time my friend was like, to me, raspberry is a stuck-up fruit, all right? So he said, you know, raspberries. So, uh, but uh, then he changed his mind. But uh, 
uh, God, there are so many parts of Scripture, I read you one or two, where it talks about how God has invited us to a feast. Uh, to a feast, to a meal, a luxurious feast. I mean, this passage here, I won't get into the Hebrew, but the, the Hebrew parts of it, it, it gets like, it, it's, it's extreme. Like when he's talking about rich food, that's what I don't need. And my doctor's telling me, like, you need to lay off the rich food. I'm like, I, I will most times. All right? But rich food, well-aged wine, full of marrow. Wow. The emphasis here in this meal that God has prepared for us, my sisters and my brothers, is its luxuriant uh, quality. This is top notch. If I can put it like this, y'all, God's invitation to God's meal, if I'm going to just go ahead and say it, the gospel, it is so good. It is so good. And this is really the basis of his invitation. You know, God doesn't start with, uh, <laughs> you better stop what you're doing. You out there, you old wild pony. You know, you act like you lost your man. You better get a hold of yourself. No, no, no. God starts with this. Hey, hey, boy, this is brisket. Okay, this is like spiritual brisket right here. Slow cook, smoke. All right, and uh, I did this. You know, God, you know, God, I think God is a slow cooker. All right, uh, I, I've got a lot, of, a lot of scripture that I think backs it, but we'll go over that later. All right, so I'm, I hope you know I'm joking. All right, so but anyway. Uh, uh, but God is so good. God's gospel is so good. C.S. Lewis says something like this. He said, you know, our Lord doesn't find our desires to be too strong. He actually finds our desires to be too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by a cruise or a holiday at the sea. And his last famous line is, if I can add this, bro, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. You know, whenever we sin, it wasn't because we were finding the extent of our desires. It wasn't because we were uh, plunging into the full depths of joy. It was because we were settling. It was because we didn't believe there was anything further or anything greater or anything better. And God is like, no, nah, I don't want you to stop. I want you to, like, build it up. I got a meal that is so good for you. The luxuriant excellencies of God. Come and eat. You know, uh, one fellow said this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I agree. On this mountain, 
the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. So come and eat. Come and eat is the heavenly invitation. My food is so good. You know, I think the strength of our sanctification, my sisters and our brothers, is going to be rooted not in the, the strength of our, the strength against sin for each of us will not be finding negative grit and grin and bear it energy against sin. You need some of that, all right? It's important to know how bad sin is. It's important to know how dangerous it is to yield to temptation. That is so true. But you know what? The danger of that is clearest when I understand the delight I'm missing in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and how great he is, how much greater he is than any sin or any fruit the snake could offer me. And so the call of God is to a great meal, a great fellowship, a time of togetherness. Let me just, you don't have to go to Proverbs 9, but I love what, uh, there's a, a lot of personifications in the book of Proverbs. And one of them is a woman called Wisdom. And it reads like this. Actually, there are two women profiled. They're both serving meals, by the way. But in Proverbs 9, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. And she sent out her maidens, her young women, to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread. Please come. Come in here and eat and drink of the wine I've mixed. Learn, leave your simple ways, your gullible ways, and live and walk in the way of insight. Come and eat. Come and eat. You know, it's so funny. Then there's another woman, metaphorical woman, uh, presented in Proverbs 9. She's called Folly. And she says, the woman, it says, the woman Folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Look at what she says. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Same thing wisdom said. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You know, one of the big differences is Wisdom gives her food, it's her food, it's her table that she has bought and prepared from her animals and her vineyards. It is hers and she gives of herself graciously and freely to all who will come for their good, for their nourishment, for their joy and enjoyment. She gives of herself. But you know what Folly says? Let's go steal it. You know, stealing it is the best way. Woo, it's exciting to take it. And then let's eat it secretly. 
You know, that's what makes it good is the secrecy. You know, and so and, uh, and Folly's like, no, that's not, you know, so anyway. But I got to tell you, it's an alluring. They both call from the marketplace. They both call from the highest place of the city. And discernment is needed to figure out which meal to eat. Amen? Come and eat, my friends. Come and eat. You know, secondly, there's so many scriptures I want to take you to. Jesus said, if you will, in John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life, the true bread. Anyone who believes on me, they will never hunger, and whoever follows me, they will never thirst again. There are so many parables that talk about eating and coming to a feast. But this passage is very unique. Back in Isaiah 25, this passage is super, almost strange. Because in this meal, there's something unique. There's a lavish meal. Um, but one thing, Yahweh must eat first. Yahweh must eat first. God eats first in this meal. Verse 7, and he will swallow up. Now, your Bible may say destroy. Whose Bible says destroy? Anybody says swallow up? I see destroy one in the corner there. Okay, anybody else? All right. Swallow up. All right. The Hebrew word there means basically to destroy something by consuming it. All right. So you can kind of translate it either destroy or swallow up. But it's the same exact uh, verb as is in the beginning of verse 8 where it says he swallows up. Death forever swallows up. Swallows. He will swallow up on this mountain. The covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproaches of his people. He will take away. Yahweh must eat first. But my sisters and my brothers, for him the cup is not the cup of sweet wine, It is the cup of bitterness. And for him, he does not swallow rich food, but he swallows the bitter herb, the bread of affliction. Before you and I can eat the sweet meal, he must eat the bitter meal. And so the Bible says things like this in Luke chapter, you don't even have to go there, but in Luke chapter 24, it says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Was it not necessary that Christ should first suffer these things and then enter his glory. See, before, in order for you and me to be able to be brought to the meal of this gracious and glorious and luxurious meal, he must first drink the cup to its dregs, the bitter wine. You know, there are so many scriptures that talk about this. 
I can describe it as substitutionary atonement. I think it points to this. Or some call it the great exchange. The great exchange. You say, what you mean, King? My last name's King. All right? And it, uh, it rhymes with mean, not K-I-N-G. Mama always said, spell it. All right, so, uh, but the great exchange, sisters and brothers, like 2 Corinthians 5.21, the great exchange. For he who knew no sin has become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin became sin or the sin offering for us, for us, so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. How about uh, 1 Peter 3 and 18? For Christ suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. Just to name a couple of scriptures. The great exchange where the sinless one and the innocent one goes first, eats first. But he eats what the first Adam deserved. And then he's able to give what only the second Adam can give. The good meal. The gracious meal. Amen? He swallows up the wrath of God. He swallows up the death, the curse of sin and death. He swallows up, I think I heard a singing in the song this morning, There is No Condemnation. Somebody please give me those songs because I had heard neither of those, and those are not great songs. Please let me know who, where those came from. Thank you for singing them. But there's, I think the word said there's no condemnation, something like that. There's no condemnation and there's no shame in his presence or something like that. Excuse me for uh, uh, paraphrasing big time. But he swallows the reproach. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are all healed. You know, we thought he was stricken, smitten by God, rejected by God. But it's actually we who have gone astray like sheep. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He must eat first. And he swallows up, exchanges himself for us. Last thing I'll say on this point. I think when, have you ever heard of that famous passage? I won't take you there where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. So almost all scholars feel like that was a, a symbol or like a, a prefigurement of his sacrifice at the cross. And remember when he came up to Peter and he was about to wash Peter's feet and Peter said, oh, no, Lord. I don't know how Peter said it, but Lord, no, 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 you shall not wash my feet. That's no, there's no way. No way I'm letting you do that as so beneath you. I think that's what he was saying. And then Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part of me. 
you can have nothing to do with me unless I lower myself, unless I give myself and humble myself for your sake, for the cleansing of your feet, of your sins. Unless I do this for you, unless I swallow first, you will never eat and you can never eat. This is the greatest table ever, the greatest spread ever. It is Christ and his sacrifice. It is Christ and him crucified. Amen? You know, uh, my third point, there is a tension, though. There's a tension between when Christ first eats and uh, when we finally eat. You know, we're looking forward to a great meal, aren't we? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Woo! We'll sit down, can't wait, and it won't cause diabetes or heart disease. Again, I'm working this out theologically, but I believe ice cream will be healthy in the new Jerusalem and peach cobbler. I just believe it, all right? So, you know, so you can't convince me otherwise. Peach cobbler is going to be healthy in heaven. All right, so, so uh, maybe I'm wrong. All right, so, but, uh, but you notice what Jesus said in, uh, in, back in Luke again? He goes, oh, boy, I have longed, Luke 22, I have longed to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. And he says it's going to be the last time I eat it for a while. For I tell you, I will not eat it, Luke 6, uh, 22, 16. I will not eat it until it is fulfilled. It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then again, verse 18, I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Until it is fulfilled. Exact same phrase from John chapter 19, verse 30 in its original language. I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled. It's the exact same Greek term, patelestai, which means, which is more famously translated, it is finished or it is completed. You can read that in John 19, 30. It's also the same phrase in Revelation 16, uh, where at the final trumpet, the final wrath of God is finished. And that's what the angel says. It is complete. It is finished. It is done. So I drink this now. And may it be a pledge to you and a promise to you that all of you who look to me drinking this now, we will drink it together and I will accomplish this. We will drink it together in the end. We will sit down together. I promise you that. It may seem like we'll never sit down. You know, right now, the church has been called the church militant. We're not in peacetime. We're in wartime. We're, it's tough to sit down. And when we do sit down to eat, he prepares for us a table in the presence of our enemies. He prepares for us food in the wilderness. Right? It's a tough place to eat. 
You know, it's like you got you to do one of these numbers. But you know what? He's able to give us peace now. And he says, I do want you all to eat together. And as, as often as you eat together, uh, you will proclaim my death, my drinking, until I come when we'll be able to eat and drink together. We'll remember my sacrifice, my drinking, and we'll anticipate our togetherness. But in the meantime, this will bring you together. You will become my people. You will share together, and I will be present. I won't be present like I will be at the end, but I will be real and present with you. So there's a tension, right? He has come. He has eaten and drinking, drank of the cup, and yet we have so much suffering, so much difficulty. And sometimes, you know, are we the children of God? Do we belong to him? There can be so much that, that seems to contradict that, although he taught us about this. And he said, it's okay. You're not home yet. It's true. You're not home yet. But here's what I'll do. I'll bring home to you for a while. That's what church is. This is what it is to be a part of the people of God. May your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. You know what? I'll I tell you what. I'll bring home to you for a while. Um, we'll, 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 we'll make it an embassy. That's what we'll do. We'll bring the kingdom of God down. And you can eat there. You ever, you ever gone to like a restaurant trying to find maybe a certain ethnic food? Or like southern, uh, uh, I have southern roots, okay? And I love comfort food. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a battle of my flesh. Uh, but you ever gone looking for like some real you know, food of a certain sa- sort of a, a something like really like from home? It's hard to find. Then you find a restaurant or someplace where they sell it, and you go, okay. Now that right there is ratatouille. All right, so, <laughs> you know where. Now that is pecan pie, all right? And it brings up something for you, and it, it reconnects you. So is our life of worship. If two or three of you, you come together, I am there with you in your presence. And there is tension, but there is hope as we await his coming. Theologians call it the already, there's a, there's a way in which we have to live as Christians where we're kind of in between. Sometimes it's called the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. You know, there's so many alreadies in Scripture. You've already, if you come to Christ, you've already passed from death to life. You've already been forgiven. You've already been justified by faith. But you might still get divorced. And you might still die of cancer. And you might still get laid off. And you might be persecuted and ostracized. All while eating. All while belonging. All while Christ is with you. And here's a weird kind of thing. In a certain way, you're being with him too in his suffering. Last thing I'll say, last passage in Isaiah. One last passage I didn't read with you yet. 
Isaiah 55, if you would go with me there. Oh, I'll just mention it. Back in 25, we see the tension when in verse 9 of 25 it says, This is our God. We waited for him. We waited for him, and he saved us. The idea of waiting is really big in the book of Isaiah. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. But we waited for him. Big part of the book of Isaiah. It's a point of tension, but it's a point of hope as well. But Isaiah 55 reads like this, just verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, and come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear to me and come to me and hear that your soul may live. You know, I just got to say this as we close. Sometimes, for whatever reason, we have to be a little bit admonished or challenged. Like, why won't you come and eat? Why won't you come and eat? I don't know about you, but I have, I guess, this thing called my sinful nature. And uh, it tends to rear its head in uh, pride and self-sufficiency or avoidance of God. And I think lots of times heaven is going, why won't you come and eat? Hey, daughter, you need to eat this. Come and eat. But there seems to be, even among the saints, even among Christians, a kind of healthy wrestling that God has to go through with us. Sometimes to humble us. Sometimes to re-reveal how important it is for us to believe him and look to him. It's a free meal to us, not to him. So I invite you, come and eat. It is the best, this gospel. Christ crucified. Let me pray with you. And let me also say, if any of you, once the service is concluded, and if you want to pray kind of over your family picture at all, and, or you would like Pastor Mike or one of us to pray with you, Love to do that. Let me hand it over to. Let me pray with you and I'll hand it over to Pastor Mike. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful day, this time in your word. I pray that it sinks deep into our lives. I pray that it nourishes us and builds our faith and that we would become people who do um, approach you and yield to your welcome invitation. All glory be to your name, we pray. May Christ crucified feed and nourish your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.